This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie sits down with Jeffrey Bruno, an award-winning photographer, writer, and creative director who focuses on issues and stories related to the Catholic Church in the spirit of evangelization through imagery and digital communication. Deacon and Jeffrey talk about many of Jeffrey's projects, including capturing the recent Eucharistic procession in New York City led by Father Mike Schmitz. Jeffrey also discusses his reversion to the church and the journey that led him to his work today. You have no idea what you're depriving yourself of if you don't surrender to it, because his plan is so much better. You can't think it through. It's not a, it's not a rational thing. His presence in your life, you're cooperating with his grace and his will. It's like you are on the adventure of a lifetime. And the skills that he gave you, like, okay, I can do these things that I do, right? Those are gifts that I've received. And to use those gifts for his purpose, it, it becomes transformative of everything. This is Living the Call. Jeffrey Bruno, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to be here, Deacon. Thank you. Man, it's great to have you. But by the way, were you involved in that? Um, there was a there was a picture of a Eucharistic procession. Just what is it like last week or two weeks ago in your in your backyard in New York City that was tied to the Napa Institute conference? Were you involved? Was that one of yours? Did you photograph that event? I did. Yeah, it was uh, with Mike. Father Mike Schmidt was there. It was a uh, yeah, absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal event. I'll say this: there needs to be more Eucharistic processions. Um, I was thinking about it because this is actually back to back with, I had two previous Eucharist, well, one regular, there was a procession for, and I'm not, I don't, I don't have, I, my Spanish is really bad. So it's Senor del, Senor de los Milagros. I think it's Lord of the Miracles. Senor de los Milagros. Thank That's you, right. Eric. Our Lord of Miracles. They yeah. had, they shut down uh, Fifth Avenue for that the week before. And then with, before that was another Eucharistic procession. Um, or actually another, yeah, another Eucharistic procession. And they're just, they're shutting down the streets of the city and they're having these processions and the reactions of the people on the side of the street, you know, it, it's just an interesting way to bring Christ to the world, right? Because- No, there, 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 there's like no doubt. I mean, yeah. look, I'll, I'll tell you this, we can riff on this because you're the guy to talk to about this. And I've been, I've been like having this itch that I've wanted to scratch for a while. So this okay. is actually really good. All right. But, but here, here's the thing. So that event a couple weeks ago and your work in it- um, to my mind, broke the membrane between the kind of Catholic secular, yeah. right? That as a strategy and thinking of it, let's get down from the theological and kind of go down into the, 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 the base inner workings of mankind for a second. But to the extent that we need strategies, mm -hmm. and if you isolate it as a strategy, the idea of ways to break the bubble between churchy stuff and non-churchy stuff seems to me a really good strategy to pursue in a variety of different ways. Eucharistic processions in particular are fabulous for doing that. Mm -hmm. This event specifically, and a couple of the pictures, which I'm assuming you took, but some of the ones that I saw, I'm not even really sure which ones I saw, but mm -hmm. did it explicitly broke this bubble? How do I know that? Because there were people like Gwen Stefani mm -hmm commenting That's on right. it and That's saying right. like, oh, this is super brave. And, you know, I have no idea what her faith life is. And I, frankly, I don't, I don't necessarily care. I know she's got millions of people that follow her on Instagram right. and her sending out this, this picture and going, this is brave and courageous. Like that moves the needle vis-a-vis -vis that strategy of like trying to break the bubble. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> I figured a little bit. And, and I mean, be. it's like, I've thought it through, you know, to the point where 
Uh, I'm going to write an article. Actually, it's going to be two processions, one conclusion. That's the title of it. Uh, nice. Maybe in a week or so. But the, 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 the ultimate, I was thinking, I was like, you know, I see the profound, New York City is not exactly what we call the bastion of, uh, of um, Catholicism. It has a very, very strong Catholic component to it. And the Catholic Church in New York City is really alive, very vibrant, very passionate. And as you can see, you know, they, they're not afraid, you know, they're, they, but it's a smaller number, you know, compared to, you know, whatever, to the opposites, whatever. The point of it is, is that I see, as you say, you know, breaking the bubble or, you know, breaking the membrane, I see that it, it really reaches, it gets through, you know, it, it, it preaches without, without speaking. Um, mm. it, 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 it witnesses through action and, it, it it's great for the people who do it too. And I got a funny backstory for you about uh, about what something that had happened and about Father Mike Schmidt's uh, homily, which I learned recently. Um, why he said what he said during that, which was really actually quite interesting. Um, but I, you know, I thought about it, I was like, if if every parish in America, just you know, just just dreaming here, did one Eucharistic procession a month, do you know what that would look like? I mean, even uh, half, yeah. even half, could you just even, it would blow, it would, and you know, it, and the, the wonderful thing is, is that once you do one, and like, there's this is one parish down lower Manhattan, well, in the thirties, Holy Innocence, beautiful parish. And sure, uh, I've been there Oh, okay. many times for, I used to go to daily mass there when I was in New York a lot, that and St. Patrick's. There I mean, you go. Every now and then, uh, what was the other one that I went to? Um, was there a St. Francis down there, or was it just Franciscans that run? No, there, there I don't was, know. There, there was, was a St. Francis down there where the bread line is. It's, uh, yep, that's there you go. OFM yep, I've been, I've been to that one too, but go ahead. Yeah, Father Miara, who's the pastor there, he's, he does several, or yeah, a handful every year. And um, the, the, the practical part of it is, is that once you do one or two, you understand how it works. It's like, in other words, it's it, like Mass is very natural to for a priest to celebrate because they do it frequently it's one of the it is perhaps the largest aspects of their of their of what they do um but the same thing because somebody had told me it's like well you know the logistics involved it's like hey but you just did one you know it's like now you just do the same thing over again you don't have to there's not you, the guesswork is not there you kind of have a little bit of an idea what to expect also i'll say one other thing just just directly on it is that okay so to follow mike schmidt because it ties directly to that um when he was uh, it, did, did you have an opportunity to hear the homily by a chance? No, uh, no, I, I haven't. Highly recommended for anybody we'll who's out there. Um, it's on the St. Patrick's Cathedral website. Father it, Mike Schmidt can get uh, ten pounds of flour in a five pound bag. I'm sure there's. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the homily is seven minutes long and has fifty thousand words in it. Yeah, it, <laughs> you know? it, but I tell you, you know, it's like it, it was really interesting because it, the one thing about him, he's very emotional. You know, like when he speaks, and I, I really admire that. You know, in a sense, because he the emotion comes through. I should say, you know, it's like you can tell if he's. If he's, you know, if it's sadness or if it's joy or if it's uh, fear or whatever, it comes, it really, it's clear as day. So, um, one of the things that I was kind of like, every time I would hear him say it, because I was covering it, photographing it, so I wasn't listening to every word, but every time something to the effect of this one particular aspect of the homily he would say, I was like, what, what? And he was talking about being afraid to go out mm. and do this procession. And I'm like, yeah. where? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, no. I mean, just just from my own personal experience of Eucharistic processions in New York. But he's not from New York. I respect that. You know, it's a big city. I, I get all, yeah. I mean, and it's a human thing. But then I was told, and again, this is second, third hand information, but um, it would make sense if this were true. 
is that he had seen some of the things that happened at some of like the Witness for Life events in the city and how these rosary processions that occur, um, they are hostily, you know, uh, yeah, uh, challenged. So I think he may have had in the back of his head that impression because he, and, and I mean, and again, it's not that it couldn't happen, you know, not that things couldn't go sideways, not that protesters wouldn't show up. But to this point, Eucharistic processions, I haven't, I think, no, I have never seen one. Mm. And it's been, you know, so at any rate, you know, I mean, there's a variety of reasons for that, I'm sure. But I'm I, now I'm definitely going to go listen to it. I wanted to before, but um, I think he hits on a very real thing. And maybe he was talking about just in the case of himself, but it's not just himself because you know, with all respect to my uh, my clergy brothers, deacons, priests, and bishops who say, well, you know, we really haven't done it in logistics. I'm going to call a little bit of bullshit on that, okay? <laughs> because the reason is that it's okay, you are scared and it's okay in a sense, right? Because the the prospects of leaving the safe space of a sanctuary, of going out into the street is at the same time exhilarating and frightening, right? That you're walking down a sidewalk, the way that people look at you, especially in this kind of post-Christendom age that we're living in, right? Right. Where, where, it, where it's not something that's like part and parcel to the culture, where people literally may look at you like you just landed uh, in a UFO. Mm -hmm. Like all of that brings up our very human, deeply ingrained, you know, senses and fears of being accepted. Uh, like all of those things true. kind of well up, right? Very true. Yeah. But 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 it's precisely for those reasons that we have to fight through those kind of like logistics excuses because they can become that, right? They can be like, well, we don't have somebody to hold the candles or we don't have, you know, which way are we going to walk? And we didn't get the permit from the city. And like, I I'm sure there's a thousand different ways. Sure. And you're right that once you do it, it does get easier to do. But there's a lot of guys who just don't do it because they've never done it, right? And it we have to get past that that initial fear, because there's just nothing quite like the arresting quality that a Eucharistic procession can have, especially in big cities. I mean, I've done them here in LA, but LA is like a hundred miles wide. <laughs> in New York, it's like, you know, it's everything's under a microscope and everything's intensified. And your, and your pictures, which we'll get into, your pictures capture that so beautifully, like the, it, within all of this, you know, kind of, um, it's not chaos. It's like within all of this intensity, mm -hmm. these moments that are just so powerful and clear and beautiful, even amidst all of that kind of noise and Eucharistic processions can, 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 I mean, they can leave an impact. Like we have no clue what they can do. Right. And so I think we have to fight through that sense of, you know, whatever, we don't, we don't know which way we're going to walk and who's going to be there and what are they going to say about us and all of that, because we, we, we need to. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that trepidation, that fear, those concerns, the uncertainty and everything that that's, that's good. I mean, in, in the sense that you can offer that up, you know, that, that, that makes it a sacrifice for you, you know, to push yourself beyond your comfort, you know, and that, and that type of, I mean, and it's sacrificing for evangelization, right? It's it's because what you're doing is you're not just going out for sure. to do it. You're doing out there. You're going out there to proclaim your faith in a particular way. So, I mean, it's. I, I think that's. I want everybody to meet Jesus, and this is a way that I can help ensure that here he is. <laughs> that's right. You know? So it's like it's really. I have this crazy idea. So maybe, maybe it's not that crazy for you, but <laughs> we have this. Uh, we our parish is on Lincoln Boulevard on the west side of Los Angeles, and and if you know anything about LA. Mm -hmm. 
Lincoln is like pretty much the only thoroughfare that cuts across all the beach cities on the west side of Los Angeles, right? You got Santa Monica, you got Venice, you got Marina del Rey. All of those areas are intersected by this one street. And it's woefully inadequate for the traffic that's there. But it's like the only sort of highway that exists beyond like the real highway, right? Mm -hmm. Our church is literally on that drag. Okay, there's probably a hundred million cars that go through every day. And our parish hall is a building that's right on that street. And my pastor and I were talking about the other day. He's like, could you imagine putting like a digital billboard on top of the parish hall? And I was like, yeah, now you're thinking because that a regular billboard probably costs $20,000 a month mm-hmm. to have on that, on that drag. And, and I said, yeah. And you know what I would put on that billboard father? I would put Jesus live 8 a.m. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Make it look like a concert. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To like get people to just come in and, and have that moment to interact. I love it. That, that's, that's, <laughs> you should do that. I'm going to try. We see, we have to probably pull a thousand permits for it. Oh, Who you knows? need me to write a letter. Not that it means anything. But <laughs> oh, for sure. Are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Uh, in my own experience, um, Eucharistic processions, I've done sort of little ones and big ones, but the little ones um, were because my my previous parish, I'm in a new parish now, um, deacons get five-year terms here in LA, and sometimes, very rarely, they get moved around. I was one of those guys that got moved around. Um, but in my last parish, um, the sacristy was not connected to the vestibule, to the back of the church by any means inside the building. So we had to walk out into the alley unless we wanted to walk right through the congregation. We needed to walk out into the alley to get to the back of the church. And during daily mass, we didn't do that. We just walked out from the sanctuary to, I'm sorry, from the sacristy to the sanctuary. But in a Sunday mass, where you have the really nice procession, we had to walk out into the, into the alley and then out into a main street and then turn the corner into the back of the church. And there's this moment where we're all vested and the altar servers are all vested, and we stepped out of the sacristy. And at that moment, there was this kind of, again, bubble-breaking moment where I'm like, okay, now I'm out in the world, and I'm wearing all this crazy gear, and I'm carrying this gold book, and there's kids holding candles in front of me, and there's a priest behind me wearing his vestments, and we're walking in the alley, like an L.A. alley, right, with like dumpsters next to us. And, and then we turn the corner and there's the street and all these cars. And every time, Jeffrey, every time I would look at the people driving and I'm, I, I put myself in their heads and I'm like, what are they thinking? Like, what are they thinking? But they were mesmerized by this, right? And then, of course, I've done like real Eucharistic processions where like you're out there for an hour, however long it is, and you're going all around town, hmm. always in L.A., Never done it in New York. I can only imagine, but I've seen your pictures. So I, I've seen some of those, those moments. But it's just something um, really special that I don't know how to recreate anywhere else. Even if you were sitting on the corner with a bullhorn preaching scriptures, that is not it. You know what I mean? Right. But, but that's the only other thing I can even think of that kind of a, approaches the breaking of that bubble in the same way. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, how did you... Yeah. Good. Go yeah, I just want to say one other comment, just, you know, and it goes to the other thing. There was a Eucharistic procession for Corpus Christi in lower Manhattan, um, in Greenwich Village, in the West Village at St. Joseph's, run by the Dominicans. And that, now that's a very interesting area of the city. Um, it is, I would say, um, probably from a morality point of view, it is diametrically opposed to Catholic teaching, you know, just mm. as a, as a, like, that's the, the center of that. Um, 
at any rate, they have this uh, this procession and they're coming through. And I see a few people that you that I would think would be hostile to this. And mm. one turns to the others in kind of like amazement. And he goes, you know, I used to be Catholic. And I'm just listening because, you know, you're, you're, this is what you're, you're saying. You're picking up uh, on it. There's yeah. people, and, and there was a conversation that ensued. You know, it's like between them. You know, not a hostile conversation, just like a curiosity cure. How else, if there was somebody walking down the street in, in Lower Manhattan or any other place, any street in the city, and you wanted to, just like you say, not with a bullhorn, not with a thing, that's probably ineffectual. How else can you get them to even consider or think of or, or, or even bring it onto their radar about the Catholic Church? This is it. It doesn't cost anything. You're not buying ad space and not ad buy on TV or something. You're not putting banner ads on Facebook. You're bringing it right to the street, right to where it's, and this is, you know, anyway, the, obviously the, we can talk about this for a while. But. Well, you and, you and I both have people in common at the National Eucharistic Revival. Yeah. And um, I want you to know that just, I think it was earlier this week. Yeah, earlier this week, I sent one of your pictures to them. And I said, um, this is why, and it was the one that had, a, I don't know if it was somebody, Church Pop, I forget who published something. Mm -hmm. and, and ultimately it got shared all over social. But um, in that note, I said, this is why I'm so bullish on the National Eucharistic Revival and Congress's public moments, like its mainstream moments, the pilgrimage, mm -hmm. the Eucharistic processions, all of those things. Because they do exactly what you just described, yeah. right? They create the, the, the sort of an at scale, mm -hmm. to use media terms, because we have that in common too, but like an at scale kind of movement. And it's really the only one that we have, right. if you really think about it. Of course, we can create documentaries and you can take a lot of pictures and we can do all this in kind of one-on-one -on -one ways or through story. And we should do that too. But but the idea of the church institutionally, like what she can do in a way that's kind of more macro, man, like, yeah, like maybe every bishop should say, hey, in my diocese, we're going to do this every month. Every parish is going to do this every month. And the busier the street, the better, because it's just such a great strategy. You know what I mean? I do. Well, it, it, think about it. it. You're bringing Jesus to the street. I mean— I heard that's good. Where is where is there a yeah. problem? You know, not not where is there a problem with it? But I mean, that's what he did. <laughs> so it's kind of like, anyway. I yeah. I I, I pray for um, this past weekend. Uh, I uh, actually covered the New York State uh, Eucharistic Congress. It was just a couple of days ago, and they had eighty five hundred, ten thousand people. It was a lot. And that procession nice. was massive. Massive. I mean, it where to go? It was. It was just. It was on. It, it was on the uh, the grounds of the shrine of the North American Martyrs. Uh, it's okay. a huge campus type of thing. So it didn't in Orysville, New York, which is way upstate. Uh, you know, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I at first I questioned that. I was like, why there? You know, not, why not? But when I got up there. And I realized this feast of uh, St. Isaac Jogue and companions had just passed. Yep. And we're standing on the very ground that he was martyred on. And St. Kateri Tekakwitha was, she was born right there. And when I got there and realized they, those saints brought Jesus to that part of the world, you know, when he wasn't there at all. And mm. what a great legacy and a testimony, you know, you know, to their lives and their sacrifice. And, you know, it really just was, it was like, it just, there's all these things at once kind of like compounding. I was like, this is a breathtaking, you know, just, yeah. it was it, a real moment. Well, in a, you know, in a way, um, I think that, that the idea of Eucharistic processions in a way kind of, 
they, they situate us somewhere with respect to our own faith, right? So I'll give you an example. I think most people, and there's all kinds of stripes in the Catholic Church, as you well know, but I think most Catholics understand the concept of being Jesus's, you know, hands and feet in the world, right? Like we're, we're serving the poor, we're going out there, we're doing the corporal works of mercy, spiritual works of mercy, that kind of thing. And they can kind of wrap their minds around, okay, I'm acting as Jesus's hands and feet or his mouth or whatever. Like people get that. When you go a little further and you go, what about bringing just the whole Jesus to people, right? I.e. the Eucharist. Mm. By the way, we should do both of these things. Yes, I'm not yes. suggesting one is, is better, but no. I'm saying, but, but the idea of like, let's bring the whole Jesus, that now triggers a bunch of other things. And one of them that it triggers is, how much do I really believe that Jesus really present in the Eucharist just by people being next to him and gazing on him? How, how much do I really believe that that can change the world? Like, it's a question of faith on some level, Right. That, that that's actually what happens when, when, when Jesus is, is viewed in the Blessed Sacrament. Like, it's not like he doesn't know people are looking at, you know, it, like he is aware of everything. Right. And, and, and he's asking for people to come, you know, into contact with him in that way specifically. And so it, it, it is kind of, um, I don't even know what the word is, but it, it kind of like enters into this other series of internal communications about how we feel about the effectiveness, in quotes, of that, you know, kind of approach, True. right? Maybe, maybe some people would say, oh, no, we got to just, you know, we got to really feed the poor and we've got to do whatever. And, and we need to, yes, yeah, we both, do need to both, do that. Both and, and both and, you know, that's not, yeah, definitely. But, you know, it's interesting you say that because that goes to something just a little bit off of that. Um, in New York City, now this, because you talk about it's really the efficacy of grace. Like, and if you think about like when you bring the blessed sacrament, Jesus Christ present in the blessed sacrament into that, that affects, it's like, I don't care. It affects. That's my point. He affects. And down in lower Manhattan, one of the things that happens, well, actually it's all throughout the city. All the boroughs have it. I think all the witness for life. And basically it's a pro-life, uh, out, you know, witness where they pray, they, there's, there's mass, then there's, uh, they, there's a rosary procession, then there's prayer in front of an abortion clinic, and then uh, they process back, and then there's benediction, and then there's fellowship afterwards. Okay. Now, when you get a couple of hundred people that all receive the Blessed Sacrament, that go out into the street, and they go and they kneel before these places, and protesters and all kinds of other people that they encounter, they're in the presence of 100 to 200 living tabernacles. It's like Jesus is present there in a way mm. that is not, you know, it's not this, it's not, it, it, and there is efficacy. There is, there are changes. There are lives saved. There are people that are in the industry turn. I mean, there's lots of things that do occur and we don't know where the grace goes. We don't know who it impacts, how it helps. Obviously, hopefully working out our own salvation in the process, but still Amen. again, and that, that is like, you would really, you nailed it there, buddy. That's the, um, yeah. Well, and that's that's the right way to put it is like we maybe we question the effic- we 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 lack faith in the efficacy, right? Which is that Jesus is going to change things whenever he's around. And yeah, he's present in us when there's two or three gathered in his name, but he's different in he's present in a different way, right. in a special way in the Eucharist and and we have to respect that. Um 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fascinating topic to me. But, you know, look, as a media and marketing guy, I'm always thinking of strategies mm-hmm. and approaches and stories. And, like, there's so much wound up in in a Eucharistic procession. I mean, it's got to be for you. And, by the way, just to set – because I didn't do this. And I, normally, you know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. <laughs> but for people who don't know you, you are – you're an award-winning photographer, you're a writer, you're a creator. By the way, I cold-called you, for the record. I've done that very, very rarely. And normally I call out the people that I've cold-called because a lot of times now guests come to me. Mm-hmm. But, but with you, I'd seen your work. And I've seen it in all places on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I thought it was, I love the way you were kind of, again, breaking the bubble by putting stuff like this on LinkedIn. I thought that was like genius. But, but your whole... Um, you know, if we could kind of summarize your whole body of work is really around this evangelization through imagery, yeah. right? And and you feel a real calling to this vocation of and mission of, of sharing, educating, inspiring, informing through that through that imagery. Is that is that a good yeah, sort of absolutely? You know, I mean, it's you know, and, and I mean that that's I think it's, that's like a, a a phrase I kind of came up with maybe a decade ago, and then. I mean, I think it's it's probably grown past that because it's really evangelization through digital communication. Mm. You know? So because it's words and pictures, it's um, you know, it's communicating on on all the because I mean, there's really no place else to put pictures these days. You know, there's a couple of print uh, periodicals out there, but um, it, it, I mean, you know, people demonize social media, and I get that. You know, there's a lot of it, you know, social media has a very very prevalent dark side. Um, but the thing is, people are on their phones all the time. People are out there, yeah. you know, and it's so I, I it, it, for me, I felt called to put something to try to communicate the faith on into the place that they're all staring at. Um, and, you know, I do what I can. You know, it's like it's it's all God's. It's all his, you know, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do, doing if, if this is doing what you can keep doing what you can, Jeffrey, because it's actually well, it's really, really good. Praise God. Um, praise God. We'll include all the info in the show notes, but people should definitely check out your site. I know you've got a bunch of stuff, but your site, um, your, your website specifically, um, it, it's layout. All of that is beautiful. But just the actual pictures for people who know how to take a picture, because a lot of people don't. I don't. But I recognize composition, lighting. Um, texture, uh, interplay between characters. Like I can see that and go like, that's a good picture. That's not a good picture, even though I can't take one. And your pictures have that, right? They have that kind of artist lens that gets put on them and they communicate. Usually you can tell about pictures that are really good because there's a bunch of stories in them. Like you can, you can, it can communicate a bunch of stuff, right? It's not like, here's my cat. That's like, okay, it's a functional picture, right? It's a utility. And then there's like, you know, the, the, the story about the cat that shows, oh, there's love, there's history, there's, you know, something else going on. And then that starts approaching the kind of stuff that I, that I see in what you do. Well, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's all his. So it's, I, I, I can take credit for none of it. It's like he, you know, this is, I, I got involved in this as a, um, you know, I, that's, that's one of the most common questions. Like, well, People will say something to the effect and, you know, I'm humbled by it, but they're like, you know, thank you for using your gifts for, you know, the service of the church. And I'm like, well, hold, hold on a sec. <laughs> it's not really the way it worked out. Um, I was in a different industry I, and I, I think we spoke about this. Um, and then I had a, we went through a period of time of searching and ended up 
you know, having a very, very powerful conversion and came into the church. And I, I was Catholic previously, you know, I was, I was, I was born Catholic. into it. And yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm always looking for the right word for that, you know, like reversion, conversion. No, you're a revert, just like me. Oh, I mean, I think that's, and there you, you know. So that won't yeah. complicate <laughs> Yeah, but simple is elegant. Yep. When I came into it, then the thing was, is that, you know, I, I had this, you know, most people, I think when they have reversions or conversions or come over from another faith or whatever, they're on fire. You know, it's like they had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now they want to change the world. And back, this was like 2004, five, something like that. And um, I was wanted to do, I, at that point in time, was doing web development. And I was like, oh, the Catholic, you know, the Catholic Church was a train wreck. Well, the internet was a train wreck back then, too. Um, but I started doing that. And then what ended up happening is, is that I discovered that there were no photographs. Like, there's nothing I could find or license or anything. So I got a camera. Um, everything that I do now, I began writing in 2016 or something around there. And it all came from the faith. But it all came from... Um, Okay, and this this is a, a little bit of a story, but it's um it all came it flows from uh my prayer, my sincere prayer to just serve the Lord, to do his will, uh whatever that will might be, be it working in a homeless shelter, a soup kitchen, uh sweeping a street, you know, whatever it is. I I'm not really preferential. Do I enjoy what I'm doing? Absolutely I do. Um and I think that but I, I do feel or I have actually had an experience. I'll share this. The um, so there's been this since that period of time when I came into it, started doing it. Um, you know, I would always pray. You know, you know, Lord, help me to do Your will. Let me do Your will. You know, and and, and I think that you know, as you know, it's it's um, the faith is it's a journey. You know, it's 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 you might say it's like a ladder in a sense. You know, it's like and you never really can stay in one place. Not like a ladder. You 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 don't stay in one place. You can be doing everything right and going to mass and praying and doing all the right stuff. And then you could just end up completely out of it, you know, like by, you know, by sin or by, you know, something that happens to you. So it's, you have to perpetually work on it. So anyway, I remember, and I can, I know this because of what happened this January, um, you know, this, this discernment and this, you know, asking Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I know that I, I would, I have to confess that probably, 10 years ago, eight years ago, five years ago, a lot of that was lip service, if I'm being mm. honest. You know, it's like I wasn't being, I wasn't allowing him to really use me the way I think that he wanted me to. This January. How'd you know that? Um, well, I knew it because of something that happened recently. Because, because when it happens, when it actually happens and you actually mean it, then you look back on everything you've said and you're like, hmm. Eh. Mm. <laughs> But it's okay. It's growth, right? It's growth. It's grace. It's all these things. This this past January, I think it's January or February, I had encountered a situation in my life that was bad, that I had no control over at all. Mm. There was nothing I could do about the circumstance of the situation. And it was an existential problem. And I, at that point in time, I, you know, looking for reasons and answers and things, and then I realized there was nothing. I could cling to. And at that point in time, I was like, Lord, I surrender. It's all yours. Take it all. I don't care. Just whatever it is, take it. It's yours. You made me. You created me. Whatever you want for me. And I began going to adoration, um, which I had. I, I'd go periodically, but a little more frequently. And in prayer, I would just sit there and I'd be, that would be it. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. 
And the message, and I don't hear voices or anything, but I got this in this this feeling. And it was basically, I mean, if I say the words out loud, it's going to sound absolutely ridiculous. Oh, good. But <laughs> hit me with it. Create content. <laughs> I was like, and so I was like, all right, all right, all right. You know, in other words, do what I've already been doing, but actually really do it. Just stop being lazy. Stop. And so then I just, you know, in January, February, I just was like, you know, I sailed full force head first into it again. And But now, now the prayer is every morning again. And now it's sincere. It's I surrender. It's I surrender. I, you know, and life has changed since then. I mean, it's like my marriage has gotten better. I mean, everything in every aspect of my life has improved. And I'll, I'll say something for people who are afraid, because this was me, you know, clinging to the things that I want to do, the things, my my hopes, my dreams. I mean, and I can only speak because it happened. Um, you have no idea what you're depriving yourself of if you don't surrender to him. Because his plan is so much better. I mean, so much it, better than like, yours. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's not, you can't think it through. It's not a, it's not a rational mm. thing. His presence in your life, you're cooperating with his grace and his will. It's mm. like you are on the adventure of a lifetime and the skills mm. that he gave you. Like, okay, I can do these things that I do. Right. Um, those are gifts that I've received. And to use those gifts for his purpose, it, it, it becomes transformative of everything. It's like, it, it's, it's really, I don't know. I can't, you know, no, I people like preach yourself, it, actually, Deacon, that preach you know, have you know received the call. You know, it's like there's a lot of surrender and there's a lot of abandonment of self, and there's a lot, you know, I know lots of religious been to millions of ordinations, and it's beautiful to see that. You know, that that, that they're kind of like a very tangible uh example of you know this thing that I experienced on in a slightly different level. And uh and it's beautiful. But again, to anybody who listens who has any doubts. Pray for the grace to be able to accept his will. Pray for the grace to be able to surrender. And don't worry. Don't worry. Embrace it. Because you, again, you will, you will not be disappointed. You, and, that, and that's an understatement. Thank you. <laughs> so. Man, you just, you just flooded the zone, my friend. But I, I mean, I think it's beautiful what you just said. A couple things that come to mind almost immediately for me. Um, the the gifts that each of us is given they're not just they're not just gifts they're perfect gifts and we are perfectly equipped for what we've been asked to do in other words we've received things we could not use them and that would be the burying of our talents like the parable says mm. but when we use them we've we individually personally uniquely and only have been given those gifts to a particular degree and in a particular time and place so that we are perfectly equipped for everything that we need. There's literally nothing we're lacking right. for that for for doing the will of God in our lives. That's why we have the gifts we have. Right. It's not like everybody gets a gift of the ability to create art like right. you do. Not everybody gets that. You've been given that, and it's been given to perfectly equip you in your particular mission right. that you can discover when you're in the will of God. Mm -hmm. Second thing that I would say, and this is really interesting, okay, the I surrender prayer. So Meister Eckhart, very famous Christian mystic, um, used to say that the most powerful prayer anybody can say is thank you. That's the most powerful prayer, Amen. right? And, and there, there is like 80 reams of reflection we could do on that. 
I think somewhere near that, in terms of power prayers, mm. is I surrender. Okay, in my own life, when I had existential breakdown moment, which and who knows if I'll have more, but the one that I can remember was back in 2009, and literally on my knees crying in hotel rooms because I was leading this executive power dude lifestyle. And it was just misery on steroids, but like fighting it every day Mm. and total breakdown, like total breakdown, insomniac, didn't sleep for nine months. I mean, lunacy, marriage about to end, like disaster, right? And the prayer that saved my life was I surrender. And I would pray it. I started running, even though I'm terrible at running. I'm like, not built for running. I'm, I'm Basque. I'm built for like lifting rocks and stuff like that. But I start running and it hurt like crazy. And I would just pray that prayer. I surrender over and over and over and over again. Right. I surrender everything, which is totally different than giving up. Right. Cause people hear surrender and they think giving up. It's not that. No, so Sur- giving up is like resigning yourself to failure. Surrender is, you know, resigning yourself to victory in a way. Right. Um, And man, is that just one of those things that cuts through to God's heart in a way, if it's obviously genuine, in a way that that so many other things, you know, I'm sure they all do, but in a a very special way, right? This idea of like, yeah, I'm here. And not only do I've got you, I've got you perfectly, right? I've got you perfectly in exactly the right way. And you can discover the fullness of who you are only if you do this. Like, it is amazing. Yeah. Transformative? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's a scary prayer though. Well, I think it's a scary prayer. It took me an awful long time to get to it, you know, to be able to actually mean it, you know, and I, and again, that's, that's, I believe that that's grace. You know, it's, it's, and that's the thing. It's like, I forget what priest said it, you know, that I heard it over some period of time. It's like the priest said, but it stuck with me. It was like, whatever you lack or whatever you struggle with, pray for the grace to overcome it, you know, or something mm. to that effect. Mm. And that's the thing, right? So like if we struggle with surrender, if we were afraid to, then we should pray for the grace to be able to accept that and to be able to do that, um, you know, stepwise, right? And it's funny the things that you, it's like circumstances, at least I can speak for myself, no one else, circumstances align themselves to get you to that point through that prayer. And and then, and then if you do that, and again, it's like, you know, there's nothing more life altering, but you know, also just to what you said just a second ago about the prayer of gratitude. Um, I, I, this is now my first prayer routine in the morning, like literally when I open my eyes, as soon as I'm conscious. And if it's after midnight, because, uh, I have to have been asleep and okay. And basically it's the first thing is, you know, Lord, I surrender everything to you. It's like my, and I pray that my thoughts, my words, my actions are yours and that, you know, take it all, you know, it's all yours. This next one is that I offer up any discomfort, pain, struggle, anxiety, or anything for the soul's most in need of your mercy. And then the next one is in just thank you for everything and for the gift of another day. It takes 15 seconds. And that's, that's, I mean, it's been foundational for me. It's like, I mean, just as if this year, you know, it's been, and I mean, who knows, you know, it's like, I mean, it, yeah, but uh, yeah. You, you need to come out with a, you know, prayer hack pr- picture book. So you could just set that little uh, 15 second thing to, uh, to pictures. That's super powerful. You know, a lot of the times we don't actually have um, consciousness routines. We have, a lot of people have prayer routines, right? They get up, they pray the rosary, they do whatever. But I'm like you, I have the sort of consciousness thing. For me, it's the sign of the cross. I wake up and I realize I'm alive Mm. and I do the sign of the cross. Literally. I'm going to integrate that. (laughs) Yeah. Integrate that before your 15 seconds. It's in, it's in, it's in. in. Thank you. Because I remember in, um, 
when we were going through formation for the diaconate, which which definitely had its ups and downs. Um, but one of the bright spots was a uh, a teacher that we had, a facilitator that we had, I should say, a female facilitator um, in our fourth or fifth year, I forget exactly when it was, a formation that um, was was talking about the liturgy. And the liturgy, of course, we we studied, you know, the rubrics and the mass and the different liturgies, and especially the ones that deacons can preside at and all that stuff, matrimony, baptisms and all that. But the spirit of this liturgical class was that life, creation, is also approached liturgically, right? So in other words, the liturgy is this expansive horizontal thing. Now, you can get a little bit L.A. if you take that too far. <laughs> but the but the but the basic thematic I really latched onto this idea that yeah I am if I wake up like the very first thing we do in a liturgy at the mass is do the sign of the cross and then we move right there's these liturgical movements well when I get up out of bed like that liturgy begins right it begins with the sign of the cross mm-hmm. and then I move through my days in these other liturgical ways right um, or at least that's how maybe God envisions it that we kind of bring this liturgy sense of presence to our lives. And so it always made a lot of sense to me from that point on. It's like, well, okay, if, if, if life is a liturgy in this way, then I'm going to begin that consciousness with the sign of the cross. And then, you know, we have our routine. My wife and I do liturgy of the hours and things like that every day. But like, honestly, that moment, and it, and it is small moments, right? It is that 15 second thing. And those are the ones that I'm telling you, when we get to the other side, like where God's going to give us a little wink, it's going to be those. It's going to be those. It's going to be like, you know, I remember when you fell down off your bike and you skinned your knee and you were like scared and somebody was running and you said, Jesus, help me. Like that one really hit me. Like, thank you for that one. Like, you know, I believe that that's what we're going to see yeah, on the other side. Yeah. Well, that's, that, those are real. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's sincere. true. That's, that's not like a, a rote prayer that you've said all your life and you don't say it, you don't pray it anymore. You say it. And kind of, I mean, I'm totally. guilty of this, you know, it's kind of. Which, which is, by the way, I don't know if you have Protestant uh, folks in your family or, or background. Well, you come from the music industry, by the way. Yeah. Don't think I missed that. You <laughs> said, I mean, I came from another industry. Like it was plumbing. You, you, you came from the music industry. So we get into that. But one of the things that I run into with, uh, you know, with in, in Protestant circles is, is the idea of rote prayer and, hmm. you know, the Hail Mary and things right, like right. that. And of course, you take the party line and you say, no, 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 that's not what we mean. We're, you know, look at the scriptural basis and whatever. But on some level, they have a point because if by rote they mean you don't mean it, then they're right. Yeah. Like when we say the Hail Mary, when we're praying the rosary, like, are we really saying Hail Mary, yeah. full of grace, the Lord is with you, blessed are you? Like, are we talking to her? Like, do we see her in our mind's eye? Do we have her in our heart? Like, are we actually talking to a person? Because she's real. Right. Are we actually talking to her or are we just getting through the prayer like at the end, we get a cookie or something, right? So in, in, a, in a way, they have a point if that's what's in our heart that's and mind right. that's when true. we do it. That is true. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a thing. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I agree. It's like I, I've been reflecting on that actually recently a lot. I, was, there was a, I went to um, a youth ministry pilgrimage down in Southern Maryland. It was on a small island um, in the Potomac, right where the mouth of the Chesapeake is is where the mm. very first mass was celebrated in the colonies, in colonial America. Oh, wow. And it's, yes, an incredible, amazing story to the place. But to the point, there's a youth minister down there, and she, uh, Teresa, her name is, wonderful, wonderful woman. And she had the vision to bring kids out to this island. You only get to it by boat. And to have mass on the island 
um, and have all kinds of other activities and whatnot. And the Living Rosary is part of it. And they had adoration. And there was a guy, and I don't remember his name. I, I hate, I'm sorry about that. But um, he led adoration. He was an, an Irish tenor. And he did this. This is what he does. He leads adoration. And he went through the Our Father as if it were a conversation uh, with, with mm. God. Like, like mm. in other words, it's like Our Father. And then he was like, yes. You know, and he did this. And it, it, was, it was a little, a little, little, it was really powerful. Because I was mm. thinking to myself, how many, I mean, just like you say, when you blow through the, like the rosary. It's like I've said the rosary, I don't even know how many times, but maybe 10% of them, I really, uh, you know, I'm not sure. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, if I'm being honest, you know, it's like, because it is hard. You know, and it is the thing is, is that I take great solace in the fact that so many saints have been like mm. weapon of, the, you know, it's the the rosary is the weapon of the saints. It's this Padre Pio and all these other people. So I'm like, I'm like, well, even if I'm doing it imperfectly, I'm still going to do it. You know, it's like, I, and then I'm going to work harder at trying to, you know, be more present, be more reflective, be more engaged, be participate more, pray the prayer, not say the prayer type of thing. And yeah, and that's that that's you know, like you run right. So it's like. You know, if you want, if you're running, um, if you can run a mile and you want to run two, you got to work at it. You know, so you just got to, you just got to stick to it, you know, and you just got to keep on going. Put the effort in, put the effort in. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, God, because he's infinitely merciful, even in the cases where we are reduced to repeating prayers in a kind of rote fashion, mm -hmm. And we don't sort of mean it or not talk, we're not addressing a person, which is really what it's about. I right, mean, right. You right, know, right. in prayer, you're addressing a person. If you pray to the saints, you're addressing a person. Right. And like, I'm talking to you right now. I'm not talking like to the, you know, the styrofoam up on the wall. I'm talking to Jeffrey. I got you. And, and you see what I'm saying? So like, there is, there is that. But even in the cases where we lose sight of that, God, like he still delivers because you've got the net effect also of the meditative quality of something like the rosary. Right. So like we've missed the person, but the act of repetition also in and of itself becomes this thing right. that can kind of bring us into this, into this sort of state. Right. I, t I talked about this not too long ago. Are, are you familiar with a book called um, way of a pilgrim? No, no. Okay. You got to check this book out. So I've talked about it a couple times on the show, but um, so sorry if you've heard me say it, but way of a pilgrim is um, it's an Orthodox book. So it was written by, the, a, a guy who, well, actually it's an anonymous guy who wrote it, mm -hmm. but, but it, the whole idea of the book is about the Jesus prayer, um, you know, which is in the Orthodox tradition and some of the Eastern Catholic ones, it's, it's a very common one, right? Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. That's basically what the prayer is. And a there's a couple of variations to it, but that's basically what it is. And this, this, the story is this guy goes, he's Russian. He's a itinerant kind of a mendicant wanderer. Like he's homeless and He's in his 30s, and he just walks all through Russia trying to seek wisdom mm -hmm. because he heard a homily, a sermon that uh, cited the scripture that says, pray unceasingly. And like, it hit him like a bomb. Like, he didn't understand what it meant. It's like, how can anybody pray unceasingly? Like, I don't get it. And he, he went all over Russia trying to, you know, talking to the shamans and the wise men and you know, the monks and everybody trying to give him an answer to that question. And he was completely dissatisfied until he met this one guy and the guy taught him the Jesus prayer. And he says, go home or go to where the little shack you're staying in and pray this a thousand times and then come see me again tomorrow. And then he came back and then he said, okay, now pray it 3000 times in a day. 
And then he went and did that and came back. Eventually, it got to 12,000 times, pray this prayer. And then he finally came back one day, and his fingers were bleeding from the, from the beads that he used to say the prayer. His tongue got a cramp from like literally saying the same phrase over again. Mm-hmm. But then when he came back to, the, to, to this particular monk, he, the way he explained it to, to the monk is like, I don't need to say it anymore. It's, it's like with every beat of my heart, got I'm it. saying my heart right. is now saying this prayer. Right. And I now understand what it means to pray unceasingly. Wow. So wow. that's like a thumbnail of it. But like you get there through repetition, right? And meditation and the road stuff. And yeah. I'm not sure if he was talking to God the Father when he was saying his prayer. But my point is I even the meditation, no, the repetition got it. there. No, that makes a lot of, wow, that, that's powerful. That, that's, ooh, ah, yeah. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say. <laughs> so how, I mean, you glossed over it, but I want to double click into it, right? You're the guy from the secular kind of music world, right? And that was your background. I mean, that's that's kind of where you were at. And you had this, you know, reversion experience that sort of was a sequence of things. But And then you go off and you do something that sort of relates, I guess, to what you were brought up in career-wise, but not really. No, it doesn't. Well, it's like a, so it's like you had all of these sort of, you know, uh, forks in the road. Yeah that that you took i mean how how do you see that time now when you kind of like you know what i mean like when you sit back and go like oh this is kind of the road that i walked on like how do you look at that that road that's an excellent question and very hard to answer <laughs> um necessary i guess would be if i were mm. to answer it in a word because when I was younger and when I was, even when I was like, when I was a teenager, I, I, I was one of those kids that I never questioned what I was going to do when I grew up. I, I was dead. I was I completely fixed on the point I wanted to arrive at. I wanted to be in the, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to own a boat and I wanted to have a big family. As when I was like eight, I figured that out. Wow. And um, so I was very, very single focused and single minded. And I, my mother um, was very keen on me following becoming a classical musician. And so I went to different conservatories and whatnot all throughout my, my school years. Uh, classical guitar, that was the, the instrument that I, I studied. And I loved it. And I really did. And I, I still love music. I still love, you know, I don't play anymore. Just, you know, for also going to be honest about things. Because this takes up too much time. You know, everything else. It's like it had to. But the thing was, is that I had in my heart this desire to do this thing. I don't know what my motivations were. I don't know what the, it just was something that I felt drawn to. And I was like, you know, and I'll use the word lustfully pursuing it. It's like, I wanted to do it. It was like rapidly pursuing it. Um, I had success. I was a, uh, I ended up, I, I left the classical world, uh, when I was in college, I only went to college for about a semester and, um, had a, an issue there. And ended up transitioning from college to uh, the heavy metal world, which was very, very embracing of uh, of my skills and um, and I loved them, you know. And I, I like the genre of music, still love the genre of music. That's mm-hmm. a whole other conversation. Now, even though I had to cut away a lot of dead wood in that, because a lot of stuff is diametric to the faith. But yeah, but be, that being said, um, 
so I, I navigated through that and then ended up into, in the business side of things and in the, the recording business. And I worked at a studio on 53rd Street called Power Station. It was the third largest in the world. And uh, with 600 gold and platinum albums, it was massive, beautiful, wonderful. And my wife and I had, you know, I kind of had gotten what I wanted. I guess you could say that. But we, well, we my wife and I were married about, I'm going to say maybe three or four years, something like that. Uh, no, probably, yeah, about, maybe about three or, yeah, about three or four years. And we had a, a we had a young child at that point in time, um, had everything pretty much that I ever dreamed of having, uh, opportunities to do all different types of things in the industry and whatnot, but I was miserable. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't, I, cu I couldn't square with the idea that what I had wanted or craved all my life came up empty. It's like, you know, and the thing is, is that maybe in the pursuit of it, you know, the pursuit of it, I was always moving towards something, always working towards something. And, you know, in that maybe you'd become distracted because you're always looking at your next move, you know, strategically and otherwise trying to climb the ladder, the core, the business. Yeah. And so you're, you're focused on that and thinking to yourself, well, when I arrive, it's going to be great. When I arrive, it's going to be wonderful. I can put up with this because of that and this. But then when you get there and you find out that there's nothing or that it's not fulfilling and it was no, and it was, it was crushing. I'll put it that way. And mm. I, I was in a bad, bad place. And, um, I had decided, you know, at, at that, at a certain point in time, I forget what year it was exactly. I was maybe 96, 97. And then I was like, this isn't for me. It's like, and I, I left. I just, I, I told my wife one day, well, there's a story there. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, so I, I, uh, I smoked like a chimney back then, drank to oh, everything. You know, I was, I was one of these guys in the rock and roll guy. And um, we live in this high rise right on New York Harbor, a beautiful, beautiful apartment overlooking all the New York Harbor's Twin Towers, Statue of Liberty's all there. And I'm walking home, miserable as could be. And I walk and there's a bulkhead right by the building, right on the, on the river uh, or on the canal that we live. And um, somebody had tied up an old tugboat to it. And I had mm. never seen a tugboat before, like not up close. You know, like, a, and I, it was this old derelict tug tied up to the bulkhead. So I'm there, you know, and I'm like, and I look at it and I, I just became enamored with the thing. It's mm. like, this is the most amazing. And I never, if you've ever, have you ever seen a tugboat up close? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the lines. I mean, well, up close, I don't know what that means. I mean, I haven't been on one, oh, okay. but I, 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 yeah, I know what one looks like. Yeah, well, it's when you're close to them, the scale of the thing is really bizarre. It's like the lines are as thick as your arm. You know, it's like, I never saw a rope that thick before. And anyway, long story short, I spent about an hour just looking at it, you know, looking at all the different, forgot about everything. And I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And so I pushed the elevator, get up, open up the door to the apartment. I walk in, my wife's cooking dinner. And I said, did you see that tugboat at the end of the pier or at the end of the bulkhead? And she looks at me <laughs> and she's like, yeah, isn't it the ugliest thing you ever saw? And I was like, and I was horrified. <laughs> Six months later, we bought it. <laughs> so what? And that's what and that's what I decided I was going to try in order to um, because I wanted a boat. We knew nothing about tugboats, nothing about welding, steel, captaining, nothing about anything. But I figured, well, you know, if I'm going to jump off a cliff, might as well jump. So, it, and so the thing is, is that that led to a whole series of misadventures. Um, you know, we had we had been in the boat thing. I don't know. We did that. And then I went into the nightclub business for a brief period of time. And then it was all kinds of just this whole trajectory of just searching, 
you know, because I, I, mm. my life stream was gone. You know, it's like, I mean, uh, that thing failed. So what, what's next? So, I mean, and, you know, I guess I'm a person that maybe goes extreme on things, but okay. So ends up we, 9-11 happens and uh, that changed the face, of course, of everything. And um, we had bought a house and it was down near the Jersey shore. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I just was, you know, the couple of years had passed. I tried all kinds of things. It's just, it still is just as miserable as ever. And we're only two blocks from a church. You, you know, when I look back, you know, when you talk about when I said necessary, if to get me in this house and that location next to that church, that took some fancy direction from above. Fancy footwork. So, you know, yep. I look back and I could see the staff the crook, you know, of the staff of God leading me to where I needed to be in order to become, you know, or to enter into this relationship with him. And long, you know, again, long story short, um, it was there at that church that I encountered Christ and I, it, my, my life changed. And that's been, it's 19 years now. And it's been, it has only gotten progressively better. And that's not to say there was no suffering because there's been tremendous suffering along the way and necessary suffering for me to grow, for me to detach, because detachment is such a big thing. You know, it's like, man, mm. you don't even realize how attached we are to things and places and people and whatever, just fill in the blank. And, but that's, that's the road, right? That's the, that's the, but at the same time, wow, am I glad I'm here? You know, it's like, I mean, this is, you want to talk about fulfillment. I, I don't even, I, I, <laughs> it's, that's good. Yeah. So when I look wow. back on the past, just to sum it up, it was necessary for me to do all that to get to where I am right now. You know, whether mm. the one thing is the same as the other or if it's similar, inconsequential. Because the thing is, mm. ultimately, I see now that really the, 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 the answer to what this life is all about is to be encountering Christ, entering into a relationship with Him, and then let that relationship develop. That's it. It's, and I mean, I tried it all just for those people that think that like, well, you know, this little, you know, Pollyanna. Oh, no, 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 no. Make no mistake. I've, I've tried all the different, every, every avenue of everything. And um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's, it's all useless, momentary, fleeting, whatever you want to fill in the blank again. So there you go. The, ne the necessary thing is deep too, because like on how many levels can you kind of approach that one? The one that I think about almost instantly is necessary in the sense that those are that those are the things that needed to happen in order to bring me here, which is ultimately where you, where you wanted me to go the whole time. Mm. But also the necessity of your own individual life in God's overall plan. Right. Right. We tend to look at um, ourselves in some cases, uh, you know, as the sort of center of the universe, or conversely, as insignificant. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the and the truth of it is, we are in a way the center of the universe, or the apple of God's eye, individually. And we are completely necessary to his overall plan. That's the reason why we exist right, right now. Right. Of course, God is God. He'll, he'll figure it out when we don't follow his will perfectly. But, right. but to the extent, but everything happens in accordance with God's will in some way, whether it's his perfect will or his permissive will. And, and like sort of discovering that necessity of, of who we are and what we were called to do as part of this much broader kind of tapestry of God's actions that lead to this, you know, to, to this overall plan is that's deep. Yeah. 
that's I don't know if I have a one word description of my crazy journey, but that that one might might approach it. Thank you for that. That's a good one. Well, wow. <laughs> Still sitting in that one. What'd you do with the tugboat, by the way? Sold it. Funny story behind that, but <laughs> yeah, I sold it a couple of years in. Uh as part of my misadventures, this may be a story worth hearing. Um so you know it was a learning curve. Uh to put it absolutely, you know, as understated as a statement can be uh, to owning basically a small ship. And uh, this small ship in particular, um, it was really out of date. Uh, it was built in 46 for uh, on a defense contract. Its its purpose was, it was ice raided and all this. Other. It was called the, uh, at the time, I think it was the Doris Moran. No, no, it wasn't the Doris Moran. It had a number initially. And its job was to go out in any weather conditions out past into, I forget what the section of the river is called, uh, the, um, the bite, uh, it's North of Sandy hook. It's when battleships and aircraft carriers and things would go, when they'd be going into Brooklyn Navy yard, they had to lighter them. They had to take the fuel off of them. And this tugboat's job was to take a barge out there and to lighter the, the lighten their load, take off their fuel so they could go into the place and get whatever job work they needed. Okay. Um, then it, tra- it went to the Moran, it became the Doris Moran, then it became one of the Rhinauer tugs. And then, then it just kind of, these, these boats, especially single screw boats, there's only one, one wheel, one propeller, um, is 115 feet, 600 tons, uh, drew 14 feet of water, nine foot blade, five blade, five bladed propeller. Um, it, 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 um, it had gone to, there's, there's a, there's like a kind of a, uh, hospice for tugboats if you will and what okay. it what it would do they, they they would take these old derelict boats that still ran and they would push um railroad cards from new jersey to brooklyn to red hook and they just did a back and forth you know it's like 10 miles back and forth and back and forth. anyway one day this tug this particular tug it was called the harbor star when i got it um it something went wrong with it it broke and so the people that had the tug, they just tied it up to the nearest available bulkhead, which was where I found it. And that evening, or over the period of time that it was there, um, junkies, because it was bad, you know, stuff like that, would get on board and they would just break all the copper and all the, so all the lubrication lines, all the fuel lines, everything, the boat was completely disassembled on the inside. What hmm. I ended up with it. Okay. So anyway, okay, the, I got away from the story. So how it came that I sold it. Why don't we get to that part? Because that was kind of the, and again, uh, <laughs> so um, I was taught uh, by the tugboat community. They, they took me under their wing to try to educate this idiot from the business world. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one thing, this boat in particular, because of its age and its poor condition, it wanted to sink. And the plating on the bottom was very, very, very thin. So, um, You'd have to every now and then you'd spring a leak and you'd have to because you don't want this thing going out. Um, you'd have to try to plug the hole. So the way you do it is you go underneath the boat. It is New York Harbor, so it's murky and it's very hard. You can't. There's no visibility. Not really. Take a really powerful flashlight. You dive, you know, with a tank, and you go underneath and you get right up against the plating and you just kind of exhale your bubbles and you watch the bubbles. And if the bubbles, because it's it's about 26 feet wide, the tug. So you start from. It's always the holes would always happen in the engine room for some reason which is about a 30 foot, 40 foot, now nah, about 30 foot area. So you'd start in the beginning, so I blow bubbles and you watch for the bubbles to disappear as they hit the whole surface. Because rust forms in layers, I learned. Not, it's not like mm-hmm. you get these little pock marks. 
And so it would kind of get absorbed into the layer. And if you saw that, then you knew there was a hole there. Take a screwdriver, chip away at the planing until you find the hole, you ream out the hole, you put either a boiler plug in there, or you could put a, put a plate up there. You could do a couple of different things to repair it. Okay. So one night or one day, I open up the door in the morning. I look down, I see water and, you know, coming up on the bottom, I'm like, oh, crap, again, go underneath. I'm there and I'm blowing bubbles, you know, and looking for a hole and, and through one tank, through two tanks, about six hours had gone by and through another couple hours. And before I knew it, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I've been underwater for about eight or nine hours at this point. And I was hypothermic. Um, I was probably a little bent. I was all of it, just sure. fill in the blank. But I have to, I have to save this ton. We lived on the boat, by the way, in case I didn't. Mm. And my daughter, she had just been born. My son was four years old. And this uh, is your house. Yeah. yeah so, you so have to fix it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm blowing the bubbles and the keel's about eh, maybe a foot wide and comes down about maybe another foot and it runs the whole length. I'm laying under the boat. I got the keel against my chest this way, like I'm laying athwart ships. And um, I hear I'm blowing bubbles like an idiot, freezing all this stuff and everything like that. So I just, I'm losing my mind. And when you hear, you can hear boats when they come near because you can hear the propeller uh, go by. And one of the water taxis from the city was coming in because it was done for the night and it came in fast. And I could hear, and I heard, and I hear it go pass by, Doppler effect kind of thing. And I could feel the wake big boats still move even when they get hit with wakes and i feel the boat the hull rising and then i feel the hull coming down and then the scariest sound i've ever heard in my life this really faint muted clink and it was my tank hitting the rocks underneath me and the mm. tone kept coming down and it's coming down and it's starting to press my chest and it's about to crush i'm not you. going anywhere it's like i can't you know i'm like i'm done and i resigned Holy myself to that moly. moment that i was going to die I was like, this is it. I'm frozen. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting crushed to death by my own tugboat that I stupidly bought. It's pitch black, everything. And then I almost passed out. And then the tug started going back up again. And I got the heck out of there. And the next day I sold it. That was that. What, what was it? Was it the wake that yeah, was kind of moving? The, well, the tide had gone out. And genius me is underneath the boat, you know. and As the tide is going out. Yeah, well, you know, it's like, see, again, yeah, the tide cycles. So, um, you know, I guess there's not that the, the canal we were in wasn't that deep and, um, you know, probably maybe four feet beneath the keel. So when the tide went out, you know, it was only maybe, I don't know, three feet, two feet. So the weight came up enough and then to push the boat back down again with me underneath. But I survived it, you know, and, uh, you know, it gave me a scare. Anyway, that's what made me transition out of the marine business. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then again, the timing of that sort of weight going back up yeah. at that exact moment, also not a coincidence. No. Because no, another six inches, that would have been that. You know, it's like it just, um, but didn't happen. So. Because God had other plans for you. Other plans. Yeah. yeah. It's weird about boats, too. I have a boat story um, very briefly. My wife and I took a motorcycle trip um, for our 20th anniversary <clears throat> down to uh, to the Guadalupe Wine Valley in Baja, Mexico. Um, and we went to this vineyard and it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Because, I mean, the whole region is, you know, it's, it's vineyards, but you're also in the middle of a very unpopulated area. In fact, Baja 
is of the 32 states of Mexico, the least populated state in hmm. the whole country of Mexico. So it's just, it's a very sparse population. It's all coastal and most of the coastal stuff or anymore has a lot of Americans, but there's a lot of pockets of it that are really very sparse, right? And we're, we're, we're in this thing. And I remember I was having a, just a particularly bad uh, day for some reason. I just, I wasn't feeling it. And um, I went into the back of this vineyard and there was this giant hole, like somebody had dug out, you know, like acres of dirt to build something. And it was like one of these construction sized, just craters in the earth. And at the bottom of this hole was a little boat, a little just wood boat with some numbers and a name maybe that was just at the bottom of this, of this, uh, of this hole. And for some reason, the thought that I had was, you know, tomorrow and this, now I look at it and I go, that was probably God talking to me because I was fascinating. I was fascinated by this boat. How did it get here? Mm. Why is it down at the bottom of this <laughs> hole? Who built it? You know, all these different things. <clears throat> Sorry. But the one thing that I remember is having this sense of tomorrow, right? And the next day and the next week, that boat will be there in that hole. And like, it, it's going to stay there. Nothing is, you know, things will change, but there's some stability and solidity in the fact that that boat is just sitting at the bottom of this hole for, and who knows how long that'll be, but it'll definitely be tomorrow and next week and the month after. Mm -hmm. And something about that image of irrespective of what was going on in my life, my moods were down at that moment, but they would change. But there was that boat just like sitting at the bottom and it, and it gave me this sort of, um, I don't know, like a sense of, of presence of gravity, maybe mm -hmm. that this thing was going to stay still and my ups and downs would come and go, but there was some, it would stay still. <laughs> and that reminded me a lot of God, right. Of how God is like, doesn't change. Right. Yeah. The constancy of God and like, you're going to have bad days and good days. But, and so even months later, months after when I would kind of dip down into this, like I'm woe is me kind of moment, I think about that stupid boat and I'm like, I, I bet you it's still there in that hole. And everything is still okay with the world. You know what I mean? It was, right. it's a weird thing, like how images do that. But, but that's my, bo my boat story, not quite getting, you know, living on a tugboat and being touched, you know, squished to death. That's good though. And it, it is, it's interesting because that's a conversation I've had, I had with somebody recently about, you know, how it was about New York actually, particularly because the one thing that I learned about New York is that if there's one thing that is, that is like the number one quality of New York is that it's always changing. It is never mm -hmm. static. There's always a new building going up. There's always another building being torn down. There's always a restaurant opening, always a restaurant closing, just constant, constant change. And as long as you can accept that, you know, if you're not the kind of person that like hangs on to tradition, it's the place for you. Um, however, that in contrast with God, again, it's like, it's a similar, I mean, yeah. it's not the same, yeah. but, it, but it, it's, yeah, it's no, interesting. I totally that, get it. Yeah, the constant I totally, you've got. Yeah. I totally get it. By the way, final final thought for me, uh, because of something you said way long time ago, mm -hmm. but I didn't comment on it. Your kind of God whisper about create content, mm -hmm. right? I've heard one such, not, maybe I've heard a thousand, but that I know that I've heard directly from God mm -hmm. in my own life is, I have not called you for leisure. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> And, and it's weird because leisure is not a word I use. Okay. okay? So that's one, one evidence that it's not for me Got it. is that, that, 
but it was at this moment of um of you know kind of getting wanting to get the rewards of all your labors you know like I've done so much and worked so much and now is my time to whatever. And, you know, it was in sort of thought processes like that. And I remember getting just donked over the head with that. And it was so clear and it was so out of nowhere. And it was just this other sort of voice, but it was still mine. Right. um, That, that said this to me and believe me, I've thought about that plenty of times that, you know, when I, when I feel tired and exhausted and like, am I doing too much and moving too much and, you know, this idea of like, yeah, there's a lot to do, you know? Um, in fact, uh, Pope Francis just recently, cause we just had world mission Sunday this last Sunday mm-hmm. for the whole church. And, um, <clears throat> the theme that he did for this year is hearts on fire, feet on the move. And it was like, yeah, wow, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. That sounds, that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I, like, yeah. it, it's like, yeah, it, we're in this kind of post Christian moment. It's yeah. Your heart's on fire great get cracking yeah get moving right so i was like yes no leisure (laughs) so so for me it was a little bit of a confirmation anyway jeffrey what what a privilege to have you on the show brother i mean look i'm i'm a huge fan of your work and i've been for a while even before i met you um and i encourage everybody to go to jeffreybruno.com and check out all your stuff we'll put some stuff in the show notes too Anything else that you're like working on, in, you know, coming up, something you're excited about, you want to let people know about, like that kind of thing? <laughs> well, all of it. <laughs> where do I start? Um, I, 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 not, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I no, not, not, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, it's like I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and people generally have, yeah, yeah, this, that, the other thing. It's like, you know, right, I mean, a book or a movie I, or whatever. I, I do. Yeah, I'm working not, on a book. Yeah. I am working on all those different types of things, but until sure. they're published or released, you know, it's not. But I would say this is that, um, I'm excited about what the next thing is in, that's in store. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what it is because I never know. It's like, ever since, like I had told you about in that January, it's like, literally it's day to day things come forth. And, you know, un- this is one thing that has been something that's happened since then is the unexpected. It's like, I will, things will just drop out of the sky, you know, projects and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I can only say that I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for that. And yeah, I know you didn't ask what I was grateful for, but, but that's, that's kind of it. And, you know, I mean, of this next couple of weeks coming up, I'm going to be writing, which is wonderful. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Pray for me because writing is hard for me. And I count on it. So count on it. Yeah. But that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like, you know, there's a million projects, there's a million events, there's a million things. And, and uh, just, you know, for anybody's out there that, you know, I would encourage you to, you know, just check out stuff. If any of it's helpful or useful to you in your spiritual walk, you know, praise God. And, um, yeah, just keep me in your prayers. That's all I would ask. Uh, well, count on that for sure. Yeah. Everybody should check out jeffreybruno.com and, um, take a look. I know you're also on, on Insta and Substack and formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> um, and a variety of other places that people can keep in touch and on LinkedIn, by the way, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. is where which is where I found you. Um, and uh, I hope this is the beginning of the relationship, not the end. You're welcome back anytime, especially if you get out to LA. I don't get to New York very often anymore. I spent n- my entire career working in Manhattan, huh. um, but I don't get back uh, very much because I've now got my own thing that I do. And 
I'm not in the advertising business anymore, but um, but you're welcome here anytime, my friend. And uh, thank and thank you for for sharing, you know, your witness and your stories and and some of that. I'm sure we've just tapped the tip of the iceberg, but it's been a privilege to have you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, it's an honor. Thank you. Awesome. If you're listening to our voices, that means it's time for you to follow the show yet again. <laughs> really subscribe, really share this episode with somebody. Um, you know, maybe that person who's looking to communicate to the world and uh, through art, through visual media, somebody who's maybe had their sort of secular, uh, you know, ascendancy and is sort of hitting that that wall that everybody hits eventually when they get to where they thought they were wanted to go and then find out this wasn't it. You know who those people are. Share this episode with them. Let them learn a little bit from what we've been talking about. We'll see you again next time on Live in the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.